0: This
1: is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. This is episode four of four in our series on building successful AI teams. And we're wrapping up this series with an excellent guest, Peter Day. Peter is a PhD in machine learning from the University of Liverpool. He is currently the Chief Technology Officer of Quantcast. Some of you have heard of Quantcast. They offer an audience intelligence platform. The firm was started in 2006. They're based in San Francisco. They have six or 700 employees at this point, a rather substantial firm. Peter was previously doing investment banking as an executive director at UBS. And again, now he's CTO at Quantcast. We speak today about what it takes to build a successful AI team, but a lot of Peter's focus in this episode, some of the most bright and shining nuggets from this interview, in my perspective, or what it takes to recruit and hire for the right traits and qualities. So what does it take to get the right people in the right seats on the bus? if you are an organization that doesn't necessarily have ai in your blood you weren't funded by venture capitalists in you know 2015 and you're brand new and data scientists are you know a key part of your staff already if you're not there if you have to bring on data scientists and have them work productively with the rest of your team what does that look like and peter has some great perspective having worked within very large organizations now a rather fast moving san francisco organization and being somebody who is technical on his side and knows what it's like to work with people who are not Many of you who are tuned in are not technical, but in either case, you've got to be able to figure out how to get those two pieces to connect between our technical and non-technical teams. And again, I, I thought some of the best nuggets today were on the hiring and recruiting side. So let's fly into this episode. This is Peter Day with Quantcast here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Peter, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, great to be here.
1: Yes, good to have you with us. And we're talking about a topic that's dear to your own experience around building high-functioning AI teams. I want to talk first, before we get into talent and some of the nuances of bringing on those right kind of folks, around what high-performing around AI and data science and kind of an enterprise and business context actually means. When you think about a high-performing AI team, what do they have and what does that mean for you?
0: Great question. I think, you know, firstly, like any high-performing team, you know, high-performing teams have a have a common purpose. They know what hill they're climbing. They they kind of win and lose together. So making sure that you know your team, which is using AI, has that well defined rather than being some sort of abstract kind of research function, is absolutely critical. I think the second thing a high-performing team, and particularly a high-performing AI team, has is the ability to to get stuff done, which means it needs all of the things it needs. It doesn't need to re- you know as few dependencies on other teams and other organizations as possible. And they're typically as small as possible, as small as they can possibly be as well. So trying to get that balance of skill sets kind of aligned, pointed in the same direction, able to unblock themselves so they can make incremental progress is absolutely critical. It's hard to find that right balance because it's often a number of different skills in there. It's not just a set of people who have PhDs in statistics or machine learning. It's a kind of cross-functional group that can sometimes take an ambiguous problem and make it less ambiguous can deploy the right, you know, mathematical approaches and also, you know, make sure they've got access to, to the data and deployment technology and so on and so forth that they need to be able to make incremental progress. But I think a lot of the kind of traits of a high-performing AI team are the same as a lot of traits of, of most high-performing teams.
1: Got it. Okay, cool. So high level, that's the definition for those of you tuned in that we're working with here with Peter in terms of what high-performing means. In terms of what high-performing means, we're going to Need the kind of people to deliver on that. So we, we we know what we want a team to be capable of. We've got a, a clear vision there. Now we've got to figure out what kind of data science talent do do we actually require. I remember some five long years ago, Peter, when companies like you know big stodgy legacy enterprises might just hire a room and a half full of you know really smart PhD people, maybe even pay them beyond what they were going to make at big tech firms, just to make sure they could get enough talent and they just kind of wanted AI people, and they kind of put them in a room. Of course, that didn't work out very well. You, I imagine, have a much more robust process for thinking about how much data science talent do we need? What kind of data science talent do we need? What does it look like to look across kind of the tech side of an organization and and really get a sense for how much of this and in what places do do we really actually require data science and AI talent?
0: Yeah, I think it it starts, as with most solutions do, with making sure you've got a a decent definition of the problems you're trying to solve. You, you, you know, the first part of solving any problem is is making sure that you define the problem. And I think the the way a lot of companies made mistakes is they hired a lot of you know awesome talent, and kind of always put them in a the room and said, "Good luck." That's not a good way to leverage that talent. It was also not a good way to engage that talent. And typically, they'll, they'll end up leaving pretty quickly. So I think the first thing you need to do as a kind of leader, particularly a technical leader, is. Is you know focus on defining the problem, defining the shape of the problem, defining what success looks like, and how, how you're going to measure progress, and then you know what resources do I need to be able to come up with a, a you know a cross-functional team that can that can kind of go towards march towards solving that problem as effectively and as quickly and as and in as you know, short iteration cycles as possible. Now, once you've done that, you know there's certain classes of problems that are naturally well suited to kind of machine learning technology you know, often, and you hear this from a lot of kind of people, particularly from other backgrounds, when they come into, you know, a tech company and try and try and deploy machine learning, just having the kind of machine learning part without also solving some of the data challenges becomes a research project. And it never really makes its way into products fast enough to deliver company value. So then kind of shaping teams to say where well, you've got this, this aligned team, typically I mean the most common ratio you see is kind of one machine learning person to kind of two engineers. That's not always right, but it's a good finger in the air in terms of the kind of broad ratio you need to be able to experiment with the mathematical solutions to a problem but also be able to iterate and kind of deliver value to the business that's definitely not a hard and fast rule but making sure first of all you've got well-defined problems making sure that they're problems that you know machine learning if you solve it using this technology will give you some sort of structural advantage and then deploying a kind of makeup of team which allows you to kind of iterate fast on your product and bring value to your customers so that ultimately you can deliver business value is kind of an important set of kind of things to get right.
1: This is a, a great way of thinking about things sort of beginning with the end in mind here. And I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of one of our listeners who might be saying, okay, cool. We've got some three month projects. We've got some, you know, three year projects. All, things are all across the board from the standpoint of a technology Leader who's maybe looking across an organization and thinking about what kind of talent mix do we need, is it really a sense of, okay, let's get the tech and the business leaders together. Let's really make sure we all have a shared understanding of our most important technology thrusts moving forward, our most important outcomes moving forward, and then really ask, okay, what is the talent mix we need for that? And when we look at that horizon with that team, should we be thinking, you know, a, a two year horizon, a one year horizon? Who needs to be at the table? You know, I mentioned kind of business and tech leaders. When it comes to getting clear enough to know where to buffet in that that data science talent, how would you go about it?
0: Yeah, I think of course, as with every you know, every business, uh, one of your biggest challenges is driving alignment and clarity. Right. So of course, you need to get leaders across the company. This is often, I believe, why small companies often outcompete and beat big companies, is because it's easier to generate alignment with, with fewer people. So absolutely, it's critical to, to get together and make sure that you're, you're, you're truly aligned. And, you know, at a company leadership level, it's often really easy, particularly in exec circles and the like, to generate this kind of fake alignment where you make things more and more abstract so that everyone can nod and agree, whereas true alignment is about the details, right? It's about which metrics are really going to drive us forward to the business. What does progress look like? And that's hard. It is um, hard. Really- Yeah, Yeah. it 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 takes it takes effort, it takes debate, it takes disagreement, and it takes digging into the details, which a lot of people kind of step back from. You've got to kind of be willing to embrace that conflict and get into the into the weeds of it, so you can really drive what what I consider true alignment, which is about details and goals. So that's true, I think, just of company success in general, and particularly when choosing to deploy kind of technical talent. Now, the truth of it is, you know, the the next big, you know, secret success in any company is prioritization. So you need to be aligned at a company level, not just on what winning looks like, but of all the 70 things that you could potentially do, and you probably could and should do at some stage, what are the top two or three that you're actually going to focus on and execute against? So that's just critical to kind of company level leadership. Now, you know, building teams against that, my advice to companies is always start with the teams you've got. And deploy those first because I've never seen a hiring plan. You know that they're often too optimistic in terms of your ability to hire and how quickly you can do that and how yeah. quickly you can make these people productive. So I'm always skeptical of, of kind of plans that rely on huge amounts of aspirational hiring.
1: Yeah, when you say aspirational hiring, you're talking about not only how quickly we bring them on and get them up to speed, but also how lofty and powerful their talent is. You know, we're talking about you know grabbing real A plus players and bringing on. You know, twenty of them this month and forty of them next month. Or what do you mean by aspirational?
0: Yeah, I think you know, hiring is imperfect. So you know, often we, we do everything we can at interview stage to make sure we hire hire talent that is is a good fit. But then you know, giving them the context and information they need and and setting them up and things can take a whole bunch of time. Getting them working together is a, a you know management skill which which we haven't perfected. It takes time. So there's a lot of hit and miss in kind of forming these high functioning teams. And so it just takes longer than anyone on a project plan will ever tell you. And you very, you know, when you've got a high functioning team, you don't want to break it up because it's actually a pretty rare thing to have these kind of highly motivated teams which have the skills they need and kind of move together. And so I think I, I always advise companies that you know, you need to, of course, focus, you know, make sure you're truly aligned on what's important to the company. You need to ruthlessly prioritize and make sure you've got two or three big things that you're kind of focused on. And then you need to start with the existing resources you've got, rather than kidding yourself that you're going to be able to take on an additional initiative by hiring all these people that are out there in market. Because, you know, forming a high-functioning team takes time. You know, it takes at least six to 12 months to get a team, even a small team, kind of working really effectively together
1: yeah okay, so plan for that. consider that to be the baseline reality. Plan on half a year to a year, even for a smaller yeah. you know early a i team to get clicking be on the same page. You brought up something really important here at the beginning around agreeing to sort of how we're going to measure success. We see a lot of challenges with that, Peter, in terms of the enterprise i mean even startup companies that are that are in the a i world they often kind of don't quite know, you know, exactly what me- what metrics of success are we measuring by in the call center? You know, we, we we sell things to call centers, but the metric that we kind of quote ourselves as being able to improve might change every six months. It, it's it's kind of tough to put a thumb on that stuff, but, you know, we have to be able to do it to kind of know the direction we're headed in. What have you seen sort of work well for organizations, like, you know, in, in terms of who needs to be in the room and what we need to talk about to know, okay, recommendations and you know, improving cart value and loyalty are really important. We think AI could be relevant here. Ultimately, the needles we wanna move are this and this. You know, Being able to actually get that down, that's tough, and a lot of people skip that step to their own detriment, Peter. What advice would you have for executive leaders around doing that well?
0: Never skip that step. That's okay, the great. Step, right? and, you know, this is, in, in many tech companies, this is the role of product management, right? It, it, you know, there's, two, there's two types of hard problems. There's problems that are hard because they're difficult to define. It's that, you know, where does value come out? You know, is it basket cart abandonment rate, for example, and reducing that, being able to define that. And then there's problems that are hard to then technically solve. Once you've got a well-defined problem, how do do you then solve it? A lot of people, particularly, you know, when you hire people out of an academic um, background, they're very good at the second class of problem. The, you know, solving, you deploying, you know, technology to solve well-defined problems better. The first part of the problem is always the first step, and it's hard. And luckily, we do now have the discipline of product management, although product means something different in pretty much every organization. I think it is over time we're starting to see the role of product at defining these poorly defined problems better and working out what is a metric metric of success. And sometimes that will be wrong. But unless you've got some measure of, of success and some measure of progress, more importantly, you can't iterate. So you need to you need to be spending the time to define you know the shape of the problem. What does progress you know look like, and then validating that obviously with with core business metrics like you know sales and customer retention and, and market share and so on and so forth. But you need to be able to make that bet. You need a process by which you're then going to refine is this is this working for us or not? When I you know reduce basket cart abandonment rate, does that lead to me being more adopted by my customers, for for example? But it's it's something that you need to you you must never skip that step otherwise you literally don't know if you're making progress and you run the risk of just becoming a research organization
1: yeah well and and many people paid that price as you're probably well aware with the first half a trillion dollars spent in enterprise ai maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration but i don't quite know was in dark corner proof of concept things that never had a chance of seeing the light of day for deployment for a variety of reasons many of them because we had no idea what the heck we were even looking for for a concrete improvement so I certainly appreciate you being able to double down, put a foot down and say, don't, don't skip that step. You also mentioned something really important. We have one last question we're going to cover, but I want to sort of uncover what you meant by something. You had mentioned, hey, let's make sure we have a process to make sure. you know We're not always going to get the needles that we're wanting to move exactly right the first time, and that's that's fine. But we need to have a process in place to be able to say, okay, is this actually leading to the change we wanted? Do we need to maybe measure this a little bit differently? Who generally is responsible for sort of following up? Obviously, AI projects are quite complicated. Who who has the skill set to, to have the oversight and have a regular review process and be able to put something through a filter and say, guys, is this the wrong target to shoot for? You know, who who steps in and does this?
0: I, I think I mean it varies by organization. So in our organization, we've deeply aligned product, engineering, and machine learning data science into a single organization we've got program management to provide the kind of structure if you like for doing this kind of stuff and then then we put processes in and and it doesn't matter which framework where you use whether it's okrs or it's leader lag metrics and there's dozens of others but you know you need that structure in place obviously it's a bit easier at a smaller company but the bigger you get the more important those structures and processes are and that needs to be someone's job to make sure that you're constantly tuning that machine and then you need roles and responsibilities around you know, defining problems. And as with everything, you know, there's gotta be some sort of investment thesis there. And that investment thesis is fundamentally about delivering company value over some time horizon. And you need to be able to measure that. Right. And so you're always gonna be making bets so that if we do this, then there will be, you know, there will be value for, for our company in it. There will be, we'll be able to win more deals, we'll be able to scale our customers, we'll be stickier, you know, something along those lines. And you need to be able to measure that lag metric. So you, you need that investment thesis there it needs to be somewhat believable and then you need to measure it over a time horizon that's meaningful so that you don't end up with lots of pet projects that don't really have an impact yeah and so yeah a lot of this stuff is just how to run a company in general yes uh, but it's very important that ai has been a bit of a shiny thing for a little while we've yep. seen that with other pieces of technology as well we saw it with big data we've seen it with blockchain Yep, it's almost like a fashion accessory. I've never seen those work out. It's really about goals as a company. How do you operate as a company? How do you make sure that you avoid every project where all the value pops out at the end and only invest in the projects where there's incremental improvement? And then the right operating cadence to make sure you're constantly refining and tweaking.
1: Got it. Yeah. Keeping the eye on the ball and certainly is something that's forgotten. On on one level, I would completely concur. I think part of this is just How do we run a company well? I think that some of those fundamentals just should not be forgotten in the the face of a novel technology. At the same time, I'm sure you could probably agree, there are many things about planning an AI project that are different than planning an IT project that we might have done 15 years ago. In terms of expectations of ROI, kind of complexity for data, et cetera, I would take it probably some of that stuff is also part of what companies need to to adapt to. But I'd, I'd love your take on that. I mean, you've certainly seen the evolution of AI in these big organizations.
0: Yeah, I think you know, particularly with technology such as AI and some of these more complex areas, there's a kind of human bias to want to almost like work kind of sequentially, like you know, build or you know, build the data lake that you that you think you're going to need, and then deploy machine more on top, and then and then build you know products based on that. Those are the projects that almost exclusively fail, where all the value pops out at the end. So you know, it's much it's much more effective, in my opinion to deploy as I say, a cross-functional team and you, you ship a really simple version of it first using really simple techniques in this kind of space. And then you've got a framework by which you can, you can then iterate and you, you get more and more complex over time and you deploy you know, more novel strategies and, and, and so on and so forth. But enabling your, particularly your, your machine learning teams to be able to experiment and to be able to measure progress, providing them the, the, the opportunity to do that is really, really key. And, you know, say I, I always, the projects that scare me the most are the ones where there's almost like a, a bullet payment at the end where all of a sudden value is achieved. I'd much rather fund something whereby we're going to have version one within a few weeks so that we can validate at least part, de-risk this somewhat, and then we're going to iterate from there.
1: Yes. Lighthouse projects. There's a lot of different terminology that folks will use for those kinds of, of projects, but I, I appreciate you re- reiterating that as well. Final kind of question here, and we can be brief, Peter but it'd be useful to get your perspective is around bringing on ai talent and and ultimately competing for these folks who you know obviously have a pretty nice position in the job market generally speaking i mean you yourself you know phd in machine learning you know previous experience very high up at a large kind of investment bank it might seem quite natural for me to be speaking to you working at one of the big tech firms in the us who who has almost unlimited budget for these kind of roles. But sometimes, you know, great folks end up in companies that are smaller, maybe they're scrappier, maybe they're focused in different niches. When you think about what it takes to compete with the Googles and Amazons for these very technical roles, are there any bits of parting advice from your experience and also your hiring experience that might be helpful for our executive listeners?
0: I think you really need to know you know, every company needs needs its identity and you need to know what what it is you offer to this talent and be really clear about that and and make sure it's true, right? So for us, I I love my job and one of the reasons I love it is because I get to solve a whole swathe of different problems and that's true for our talent, right? You know, smaller companies, you tend to have a bigger impact and you tend to have an opportunity to do a wider variety of things rather than specialize. And, you know, so I think making sure that you're clear about that this is your, you're not going to compete with necessarily the biggest tech companies out there in, in terms of pure compensation but you are going to compete in terms of opportunity and you're certainly going to you know compete in terms of impact and so making sure that you understand your kind of you know potential employee value proposition yeah. make sure that's true as well so that when people come in they they can see it from day one and they stick around because they know that they're going to have you know huge impact and they're not going to be encumbered by some of the things that seem to impact all big companies I think is is key. So to me, it's about identity. It's about company identity and being really clear about that. And from that, a lot of of good things happen because it's not right for some people and it's great if they opt out at kind of interview stage if if that's not what they're looking for. Exactly. Okay,
1: got it. So if I'm going to try to put that in a nutshell. There's a couple things you put on the table I want our, our listeners to remember before we break today. One is, you. it starts with knowledge of yourself as a company. What's your direction? What difference are you making in the, the lives of your customers? What kind of a culture do you have? Know those things and know, to your point, what elements of that true identity might appeal and be interesting unique beneficial for the right kind of applicant maybe you have a certain kind of collaborative process or maybe you're working on a certain kind of problem that you know will make a business difference or a moral difference or whatever the case may be you know be prepared to talk about those things that are that are a little bit different and really lead with that uniqueness and it'll filter out the people that are not the right fit is is this a proper not shelling is there anything you'd like to add to that I think that's it great fantastic well Hopefully that is a writer downer for some of the folks who are tuned in. Peter, I certainly appreciate you being able to be with us here. Thank you so much for joining us
0: on the show. Thanks for having me.
1: So that is all for this episode, episode four of this four-part series on building a successful AI team. I think running a series is always fun for me. I like to do a few of these per year. I think there's a lot to take away from really being able to shine a tremendous amount of light from different perspectives on one particular focus topic. And I hope for you tuned in, this was a fun ride for you as well. We started off with Mazin Gilbert of Google. We talked to an AI leader at Rolls-Royce. We went to PwC and now today the CTO of Quantcast. So quite a journey, many different perspectives, many types of industries and companies, but also a lot of great lessons learned. Thank you all for being tuned in and I look forward to catching you in the new year. It's crazy to think it's going to be 2023. The next time you hear us here on the show, we'll be back on the 3rd of January with another episode, as always, here on Tuesday, kicking off our content. We're doing a lot more publishing in 2023 in both audio and text media. If you're not already signed up for the newsletter to receive all of our latest use cases and trends, be sure to do so. You can go to emerj.com n1. That's n as in newsletter. And then the number one, emerj.com n1. We send out newsletters every Tuesday and Thursday, Thursday covering use cases, trends, and the ROI of artificial intelligence. So if you want to know where this stuff is hitting the ground, running, and adding business value, that is all we cover. And I appreciate you as a listener. I hope to have you as a subscriber as well in terms of our newsletter. Again, it's emerj.com n1. And otherwise, I hope your holiday was great. I hope your New Year's is fantastic. And I look forward to catching you in 2023.